0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Canberra's People Powered Radio, 2XX 2XXFM 98.3. The program is subject to ACT with me, Sophie Singh, bringing you stories of community and current affairs from our local city and beyond. Stories with a global dimension. In September last year, Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced the creation of a new security pact with the UK and the US to be known as AUKUS. The Prime Minister's media statement claimed that AUKUS was, to quote, an historic opportunity for the three nations with like-minded allies and partners to protect shared values and promote security and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific region. Now these are very loaded words dropped into a global security environment that is under increasing pressures with fractures clearly showing. But the implications of AUKUS for Australia and indeed the world haven't really been scrutinised to any extent in this country, largely overshadowed, I think, by the diplomatic fallout with France when Australia cancelled its deal with that country to deliver conventionally powered submarines. Tonight we take a closer look at AUKUS, what it means and what potentially could be the consequences of Australia acquiring nuclear-powered submarines, which are a key part of this new security partnership. My guest tonight is Dr Sue Wareham, President of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, or MAPW for short, and a long-term and well-known Canberra peace and anti-war activist. Sue, thank you very much for speaking with me on Subject ACT today.
1: It's lovely to have you on again. Pleasure to be here, Sophie. Thank you. AUKUS.
0: Now, a fairly awkward acronym, I think, and perhaps made even more so because of the very... Uncomfortable and perhaps seemingly incompetent way the Morrison government has dealt with the French government in relation to the submarine deal. But there's been very little detailed discussion on what AUKUS actually is. So I was hoping that we could start there. What is AUKUS? So is it simply a technology accelerator, as the Australian Strategic Policy Institute has described it, or is it much more, is it really a multi-leveled security pact that will involve far more than just some equipment.
1: Yes, definitely, Sophie. Uh, I mean, it might be primarily about transfer of technology, etc. That in itself is a huge thing, but there's a lot of politics going on here. This is big power politics. If you look at it carefully and unpack it, it's not um, to promote the Peace and security of the region, or for any of us, but it's about who's going to be dominant. And uh, I mean, if if you even start by looking at the three partners in this agreement AUKUS, um, the US, the UK, and Australia I mean, the UK this looks very much like Britain harking back to its colonial days, preparing for war and getting involved in a, a military sort of alliance, more or less on the other side of the world. I mean, what's that? got to do with the peace and security of the British people and the answer is nothing it's just going to uh, make them even poorer in economic terms. And so were
0: you surprised that the UK did come on board for a pact like this it would seem less surprising in terms of a US involvement because uh, the US has Certainly, since World War II, had a an involvement in the Indo-Pacific region, and, and successive Australian governments have been very keen to maintain that that U.S. involvement. But were you surprised that the UK came on board?
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, for starters, all of us were surprised by this announcement. Just about everybody uh, on the planet who was taking notice of these things was surprised by the announcement. And um, just as a bit of an aside, this announcement, this AUKUS agreement has huge implications, absolutely huge. Um, And yet it was decided in Australia by about eight people, eight out of the whole, you know, 25 or so million of us. Um, And that's the National Security Committee of Cabinet. So it's very, very anti-democratic, if you want to put it like that. So virtually nobody in the country was consulted on this and probably the same in uh, in the other partner states. But as you say, yes, it was less surprising for the US to be part of this than for the UK. And yes, one does have to wonder, well, why? What's, what's the agenda for the UK? And I guess if you start looking for reasons, there's the, there's the old one of when governments are doing poorly domestically, um, then they look for an, an outside foe, something to focus the mind of the people on that's beyond their shores. Um, And I haven't looked at it in detail, but I think Paul Keating, former Prime Minister, just in recent days has been saying again that the UK is really searching for relevance. And um, you could look at the role of Brexit in this too. I mean, they're no longer part of that European Union. So they've gone out on their own in that. And what's the identity of the UK these days? They used to rule the waves in the colonial days. And um, there seems to be ah, sort of a, a last gasp as so they see that that sort of vanished. And what's their identity now? Thinking that they need to hold up their heads high militarily somewhere. And the Pacific has has become that place, unfortunately.
0: So there seems to have been a very muted reaction to AUKUS with really very little analysis of whether It's actually a positive thing for Australia, for the UK, for the US, for the world. And the Labor Party jumped on board almost immediately to give it support. And that's certainly been something that um, uh, Paul Keating has been critical of, of the Labor Party. Why do you think there has been such scant scrutiny of AUKUS?
1: Immediately after the announcement, there was quite a strong sense of alarm expressed from some in Australia, certainly, um, but also from around the world, from disarmament, non-proliferation experts. Quite a lot of people around the world were saying, this is terrible. The prospects in terms of nuclear weapons proliferation are very serious with this announcement. Um, So there has been negative response. But as you say, there hasn't been much discussion, well, virtually no discussion in the in the community about it, very little. Um, and uh, even in our parliament, of all places where these things should be discussed, um, the parliament is the sort of preeminent place. We expect to have really in depth analysis. What are the pluses of this? What are the minuses? How is it going to affect us in all sorts of ways? But there's been nothing in our parliament. And that is just a, a huge disgrace for a country that calls itself a democracy. So I think. Part of the reason is that militarization has become so normalized in this country that anybody who sticks their head up above the parapet and criticizes any aspect of that, especially if they're somebody like the ALP political people, then they can expect to be uh, shot down and sort of pilloried for not um, not supporting our, our security, not supporting our military and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas what we need, as you've suggested, is really good deep analysis of this announcement with huge implications and that militarization really has China at the center so what do you think the AUKUS
0: will mean for our already very fractured relationship with China and uh, in terms of a new period um, and perhaps a much more fraught period what do you think we're looking at
1: Well, yes, you're right, Sophie, that this is really just provoking the situation yet again. And as you said, and as most of us recognise, our relationship with China is pretty terrible at the moment. There have been provocations provocations from both sides. Australia has been a significant part of that. Um, And this is just one other instance. Um, China sees the announcement as deeply alarming, and for good reason. And if we were to talk about the role of the nuclear submarines, for starters, the role of Australia's nuclear submarines, if and when they ever eventuate, which they may not, but their role would be not part of so-called deterrence, but part of US nuclear war fighting. This is all about fighting against China and preparing to fight a nuclear war against China. Now, this is just ludicrous. It's, um, It's crazy stuff. China knows that. China would be very threatened by Australia playing such a role. And China's response will be the what you would expect, which would be to increase their own nuclear warfighting capacity, which means more nuclear weapons, uh, more missiles, more nuclear submarines on China's part. So this is all feeding into what could, if it's not already, become a nuclear arms race and an arms race generally in the region.
0: And China hasn't been alone in its concerns. Other countries in the region, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia have also expressed concern about AUKUS. Is this coming from, like you say, a general fear that this is going to accelerate a level of tension and threat in the region?
1: Yes, yes, there is definitely that fear from others in the region. As you said, Malaysia, Indonesia have expressed concerns. Some Pacific Island nations have expressed concerns about this. Uh, I mean, on Indonesia's part, will this announcement strengthen the voice of extremists in Indonesia? Will they see it as a reason for increasing their own military capacity? And what's that kind of mean for Australia? And I think also this is a point that Paul Keating makes often that we need to recognise that we are part of Asia, um, that we're we're not part of an ancient British colony. We're we're part of Asia. We need to recognise that and and celebrate it. Um, but what this AUKUS announcement promotes is really in a fairly subtle way, there are racial overtones here. We've got these three Anglo nations, one of them on the other side of the globe, um, three Anglo nations preparing for war against uh, China. Now, if that doesn't say something about perhaps not so yeah. not so latent racism here, then uh, then I'm not sure what does. And I think it's important to recognise also that the anti-China rhetoric that's coming louder and louder in Australia is causing damage even before, and let's hope this doesn't happen, but even before we go to war. And Chinese Australians, Australians of, of Chinese ethnic origin, are increasingly fearful of their future in this country when, um, when there's clearly so much hostility at an official level towards China. And
0: there certainly has been documented uh, increase in incidents of racism targeting people of um, Chinese descent or Chinese origin, or anyone who looks really Asian.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. And that's, um, that's a pretty terrible thing to do to the ethnic Chinese population in Australia. Not sure of the numbers, but um, it's a lot of people.
0: It's hard to uh, not see AUKUS as really uh, Australia reasserting uh, and repositioning itself as a bit of a colonial enforcer in the region.
1: Well, yes, and certainly an enforcer of what the, um, well, the US calls itself the most powerful nation in the world, I will. I often doubt that statement, but enforcer of US policy, whatever the US policy um, is, and that's what Australia will attempt to support, with a few exceptions in, in any way it can. So it, it's not good for Australia that we haven't yet learned to be uh, more assured as an independent nation that doesn't need to cling on to either the UK or the US. That doesn't mean that we should cut all military alliances, not talking about ceasing ANZUS, um, but we should at least make decisions that are in our interests and in the interests of the global good, the global common, which is something that doesn't get taken into account all that often. And to to have this independence of thought in Australia, we need more discussion of these things and particularly in our parliament.
0: So you mentioned that the fear is that acquiring nuclear-powered submarines uh, by the Australian government draws Australia into a preparation of a nuclear conflict with China. I'm keen to try and understand that a little bit better because while there is a use of nuclear, it's to power the submarines as opposed to um, equip them with nuclear weapons. So why do you see that the use of nuclear power contributes to the greater likelihood of a nuclear conflict?
1: Yes, let's be clear that our government hasn't announced nuclear weapons for Australia, just nuclear-powered submarines, which means that the submarines have a reactor on board and that nuclear power propels the submarine. But the point about them is that they, um, they can travel further, stay undersea for longer, and we only need that if we plan on fighting wars, which are further from our shores, if our goal is to defend Australia's shores, then we don't need nuclear submarines. Conventional submarines would be, in fact, in some ways better. So nuclear powered submarines are for long distance. And in this instance, um, the purpose that we're looking at is for probably somewhere in the South China Sea. Now, I mentioned that Nuclear-powered submarines for Australia would be part of US nuclear war fighting, even though our submarines would not carry nuclear weapons. The way this would work is that um, the role of Australia's submarines would be part of the US strategy of locating and attacking Chinese nuclear weapons weapons carrying submarines. So it's all part of finding and attacking Chinese submarines. Now the significance of this, even though it might seem a good thing on the surface, you know, you might say, well, don't we want to get rid of Chinese submarines if we're at war with them? But the problem is that China is the only one of the five major nuclear armed states that has a no-first use policy. It won't be the first to use nuclear weapons. The other four, US, Russia, UK and France, don't have that policy. Now, because of this, China relies um, very heavily on what's called its second strike capacity, which means that if somebody else, for example, the US initiates a nuclear war and attacks China with nuclear weapons, then China could retaliate with nuclear weapons. And that second strike capacity are what it carries on its submarines. So given that US strategy is to eliminate Chinese second strike capacity on its submarines, then that makes China extremely vulnerable. And that's the very point of this. China would be extremely vulnerable by this strategy. And again, you might think, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Isn't that what we want? But no, it's not what we want because um, it would make the situation extremely unstable and it would increase the likelihood of either country, China or the US, uh, striking first initiating a a nuclear strike before their own capacity is knocked out. So it it basically makes China a lot more vulnerable in ways which could lead to either the US or China striking out first and greatly escalating things. So it's highly destabilising.
0: If you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Sophie Singh and the program is Subject ACT. And you're listening to Canberra's people-powered radio, 2XX FM 98.3. Tonight, I'm in conversation with Dr Sue Wareham, president of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, and we're discussing AUKUS, the new security partnership announced in September last year between Australia, the UK, and the US. So the time frame for the delivery of these nuclear-powered submarines, I think we're looking at what twenty-five to thirty years. Is it less actually about the delivery of these submarines and uh, what AUKUS means as an alliance? And certainly, the UK foreign secretary uh, made it very clear that this is about the shifting of, of balance in the Indo-Pacific. So, almost to an extent, the delivery of the submarines themselves is a bit secondary.
1: Yes, that's you've hit on an interesting aspect, Sophie. Um, one is left scratching one's head when you look at the timing um, from a government that, well, particularly our, our defence minister, is talking mm. as if war with China is imminent, better get used to it, folks, we're planning for it maybe in in the next few years, something like that. And um, here we are, a major uh, centrepiece of our planning is submarines in perhaps 25 years' time. Um, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And even to try to work out what the government's game is in all this in the submarine announcement is quite puzzling. So, yes, I think you're right in that a lot of it is about the politics, the fear-mongering, and again, trying to strengthen our alliance with the United States. But beyond that, uh, the timing just makes such a nonsense of the whole proposal that it's difficult to know where the government's coming from.
0: Which makes it even more frightening if there's no actual clearness on the part of the people who are making the decisions.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. We don't feel as if we're being uh, led from a position of wisdom, let's put it like that. Absolutely.
0: Sue, we were um, talking about how decisions like AUKUS can be made by such a a very small group of people without any checks and balances within our parliament to ensure scrutiny, analysis Uh, And accountability and MAPW have again long argued that the Defence Act must be uh, changed to require parliamentary approval before there's any troop deployment. How would such a requirement work in practice and how would it work in practice for something like AUKUS, which isn't actually about troop deployment?
1: Right, yes. The group Australians for War Powers Reform is the group that's primarily running this campaign to ensure that Parliament needs to debate and vote before any deployment of Australian troops to an overseas war. So not not a war that's um, directly in defence of us if Australia is attacked, but to go to any overseas war, sometimes called a war of choice, then Australian Parliament should debate and vote. And that's pretty fundamental for a democracy. In a situation like this, if the so-called war powers reform were in place, it would not actually have a direct impact on a situation like this because the AUKUS agreement is not a declaration of war uh, or is not about deploying troops immediately. But what we believe, what Australian War Powers Reform and Many others believe is that all of these matters should be debated and voted in our parliament because war is just the the tragic end of a long series of steps which precede it, and AUKUS is one of those steps. So all of these matters, which have huge implications, they have implications for our um, for our economy. Uh, I mean, the cost of these nuclear submarines alone could be one estimate was 170 billion dollars, just eye-watering amounts, absolutely eye-watering, the economic costs, um, all the costs of going to war, the human costs in particular, and the political costs and what it's doing to Australian society when there's so much anti-China rhetoric, all of these things should be debated in our parliament, uh, and particularly if it reaches the stage of deploying troops to an overseas war.
0: So how do we, as a country, as a world, change... Attack. There seems to be growing tension and uh, militarisation towards China. We see what's happening in Russia uh, and the threat of war or threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. How do we change footing and actually steer to a, a future that isn't uh, one of, of fear and, and global insecurity? What's the alternative approach here?
1: Well, I think the the alternatives are actually not all that difficult to envisage, um, Sophie. First thing is we need to start talking about peace. Um, We need to start talking and examining and discussing, well, what do we need to do to actually make situations less hostile, less antagonistic, um, and how can we put steps into place? Whereas the discussion in Australia uh, in relation to these things is all about war. Is all about our military hardware. What are we going to spend money on? What are we going to buy? What what does this particular piece of military hardware do? Whereas if we put the same effort into peace, we'd be talking about okay, what steps do we need to defuse tensions? What can we do in the Asia Pacific? What confidence building measures could we put into place? Um, Could we have arms control dialogues in our region? Australia could easily um, be instrumental in setting up arms control dialogues in our region if we wanted to. But peace is just not on the radar. I mean, our government says, uh, yes, we want peace above all things. And then they go and prepare for war, 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 war. I was reminded of this recently uh, when the Canberra Times had a uh, an inserter supplement and it was a defence supplement and it was all about military hardware, mostly about military hardware. And I mean, the Canberra Times is not alone here. The focus was, again, it was on war. Now, what about if they came out with a peace supplement what can we do to promote peace? Who are the people working for peace? What are they doing? What are the things that need to be done? Is overseas aid part of it? Yep. Okay. Let's talk more about overseas aid. How can we improve our relationships with other nations? So there are a lot of things that we could be doing, but the first thing is to start uh, focusing on peace and not expecting it to just fall out of the sky, uh, which is what our government Uh, seems to be stating that they'll accept peace if it happens. But in the meantime, we're just going to focus on preparing for war. Part of this also is increasing uh, our funding for diplomacy. Australian diplomacy has been almost literally starved of funds gradually over a couple of decades or more, which means our capacity to defuse situations has been whittled away and Almost our only way of dealing with conflict now is through the force of arms. And, and that's terrible for a democratic nation. Jeff Raby, who's a former ambassador to China, commented in response to AUKUS that the submarines deal at least makes Australia a lot less secure because it's undone a lot of the good work that Australian diplomas he had done in past years. So a lot of things, I guess I I should mention, perhaps first and foremost would be action on climate change, which is one of the two greatest security threats to the world. The other one being nuclear weapons. Um, So we need action on climate change. And that in itself would go a long way to creating better relationships in our region and also to creating a slightly more stable world.
0: It would seem like a no brainer, the things that you've uh, spoken about, Sue, as the alternatives. But it's a fight. It's a a struggle to actually force um, the government to even establish some sort of commitment to peace, let alone all the measures that would then flow from that. The uh, Medical Association for for the Prevention of War has uh, for many years actively campaigned for Australia to sign the treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons. Uh, Do you see any prospect that concerns around AUKUS might help build support within civil society for Australia to ratify that could uh, build stronger pressure on the Australian government to make that move and to ratify the treaty?
1: Yes, I think the pressure is building all the time on the Australian government to sign and ratify the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, which came legally into force a year ago, January last year. Um, There aren't any signs that the current government is going to sign, and even if this government were returned in our election in May, presumably in May, um, we don't have strong hopes that the current government will sign, but Labor, there are, are very strong hopes, and Labor has committed to signing the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So this is hugely good news, and there's a lot at stake here because Australian support for that treaty would be pretty groundbreaking. Australia's sort of on the worst end of hostility towards the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty, but similarly the other um, nations that are aligned to the US those in NATO, et cetera, are generally not supportive of the treaty, although, as I mentioned, Australia is probably the most hostile. So Australia breaking out and signing the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty would be extremely significant, and that's what we'll be working for even when we have a Labor government to make sure that they hold fast to to that commitment that they've undertaken. And January is also significant, uh, not just in being the anniversary of the coming into force of the treaty, but also in January each year, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists reset the hands of their Doomsday Clock, which is um, an indicator each year and has been since the late 1940s of our proximity to global nuclear war. The hands of the clock uh, just last week, a few days ago, were, were set again, but actually remained the same as last year, which is at 100 seconds to midnight. This is the third year in a row that The hands have been at 100 seconds to midnight. so And that's the closest that they've ever been. Right through the Cold War, they were not as close as that to midnight. So there's an awful lot at stake here. And we've just got to keep on until nuclear weapons are more and more delegitimized, stigmatized and eliminated.
0: MAPW, along with other organisations, held protests against AUKUS in order to raise the awareness of the threats posed by AUKUS uh, last year. What were the demands of those protests and what are the plans for that campaign into 2022?
1: Right, yes. Um, One of the key demands is that the nuclear submarines don't go ahead. These are just so so provocative for the reasons that we've talked about to have Australia uh, of all nations, a fairly moderately secure nation, developing nuclear-powered submarines um, to go to distant wars. So that's one of the first demands that the nuclear submarines don't go ahead. And I should again partly on the side say that there's no guarantee that the nuclear submarines will go ahead because this agreement has got to get through US Congress, which is likely to be fairly hostile towards the concept. So there are big barriers before these things even go ahead and we shouldn't regard everything in AUKUS as a done deal. Um, So that was one of the demands. And the other demands is no war with China. The notion of Australia being involved in a major war between US and China, or well, the, the notion of such a war, um, is just, it's almost unthinkable. Uh, the damage that that would cause, the possibility uh, of a nuclear war eventuating, um, it's, uh, it's just a situation that must not happen. Um, and the danger is that with an approach like the Australian government's is that we could just more or less sleepwalk into it. As the world sleepwalked into into war just over a century ago, First World War. Nobody thought it would happen. Nobody thought it would uh, go on for as long as it did, you know, everybody home by Christmas, that sort of thing. Everybody in the years leading up to the war thought that because there was a huge naval arms race going on between Great Britain and Germany, it was thought that all those dreadnoughts and other military hardware would, quote, deter. Word again, deter uh, and maintain the peace. But in fact, the opposite happened. People got emboldened by their own military capacity and war eventuated. So, no war with China is an absolute must. So the plans for this year will be further education around these themes, And as mentioned, there needs to be a lot more discussion of these things in the community. So that's what we'll be hoping to be party to during the coming year. Sue, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks very much, Sophie. I appreciate being on your program. Thank you. Thank
0: you. That was Dr. Sue Wareham on AUKUS, the security alliance between Australia, the UK and the US, and the threat this new security alliance potentially poses for the Indo-Pacific region in terms of greater militarization including nuclear weaponry. Sue outlined how Australia could become part of the US's military strategy, indeed nuclear weapons strategy, against China through our acquisition of nuclear-powered subs. And she stressed that these subs are not intended for defending Australia's shores, but rather to have the capability to travel long distances over long periods of time. The Prime Minister's statement in announcing the creation of AUKUS would seem to support Sue's analysis. It states, and I quote, Nuclear-powered submarines do not have the same limitations that face conventional submarines on weapons storage, speed and endurance. They can stay completely submerged for many months, limiting the opportunities for detection by adversaries. And that paints a truly frightening scenario and surely a security alliance that has this potential to impact on life in Australia deserves to be scrutinised very closely in this country. Is this really in our interests? Because a war with China is certainly not in anyone's interests. And that brings us to the end of tonight's Subject ACT. I'm Sophie Singh. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.